Welcome to episode number two with me, Dan Smith, CEO of um, Dugino. And uh, well, thank you so much, Dan, for making it. That's fine. Looking forward to it. So first and foremost, obviously, the first question, how did you come up with the name Dugino? Uh, oh, Dugino is an unusual word. Uh, there's a little bit of story about why we had to, we were about to launch when I'm going back where it was six, seven years ago, the company. Uh, and we found that one of our competitors uh, did a rebrand and had a very similar name to the name that we were going to launch with. Uh, and we found that out the weekend before we were launching and we had campaigns going out. So I had to do a rebrand very quickly. Now, I'm a big fan of words and wordplay uh, and stuff, including slang. And uh, so I set about looking around different words and different stuff. Uh, and Dugino is actually a word from uh, the 19th century. And it is backslang for mm -hmm. market traders used and market traders would try to uh, hide what things were going on so they could talk without their customers necessarily noticing and it actually means good one so mm -hmm. do you know is backslang for good one and dabino is backslang for bad one but uh, it's an unusual word the only other time i've seen it used in any modern thing is uh, uh, some guys have produced a sour beer called digino i've not tried it yeah, I've never tried it yet. I will try it when I can find it. Yeah, perfect. Um, so on your website, um, it says Dugino is a multi-award winning marketing company uh, bridging the gap between marketing and sales. Can you unpack this gap between marketing and sales and how do you guys approach it? Yeah, so um, might help if I, my background uh, other than being an engineer many, many years ago, I then moved into technical sales and in enterprise sales. Uh, and I worked for a long time in enterprise sales, selling technology services. Uh, and I always found that the marketing team would be going off doing one thing. And actually, as a salesperson, I needed them to be doing something else. Uh, and so there's some good stuff that marketing often does around, you know, brand awareness or whatever. But actually, when you're a salesperson, you care about the leads and you care about the right messaging for those customers. Uh, and I felt so often that they're two sides of the same coin, but they, they might might as well be completely separated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, never seen a marketing person go, hey, can I come in and sit in, in your sales meeting mm -hmm. and learn what the customer's saying and, you know, what yeah. they've said. Uh, and so when I had the opportunity which is now probably 18 years ago to start running sales and marketing and looking after the whole thing to me i was very keen to make sure that any activities from a marketing perspective were completely aligned to what the sales people were trying to do and to make sure that the sales people were also aligned with what the marketing message was because marketing will go off and craft great messages and then sales people go and sit in meetings and describe stuff completely differently mm -hmm. uh, and what it means is that quite often that the customer gets a, uh, a disjointed experience. There isn't that continuity. Uh, and then when it comes into the kind of the work we do now, the marketing that we do is very much uh, really highly targeted marketing, which is creating opportunities for salespeople. Effectively, when we do 
what we do in account-based marketing. It's like if I had a salesperson who was totally on it, what would I want him to be doing in terms of prospecting? Uh, but knowing that a salesperson isn't a marketer, doesn't have a marketing background, has different priorities and stuff, which means that actually uh, they're never going to do that work. So what we do is we kind of have taken that from my broad experience in, down into a, a process uh, and a system which enables us to kind of bring kind of best practice into companies around that sales and marketing. So we don't go into somewhere and say, hey, look, we're going to do your rebranding work and that kind of stuff. That's not really where we sit. Where we sit is in the work that we do, which is around account-based marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, and I will, uh, I mean, I would like us, uh, like for this episode to be about uh, account-based marketing. And like the main question of this episode is like, why account-based marketing? But I think like before asking this, for um, younger people like me, can you set up the scene? What is account-based marketing? How is it different? What's the benefit? Like, uh, what are the companies that might benefit? Stuff like that. Absolutely. So account-based marketing. So if you've got a normal marketing side of stuff, what you're trying to do is bring people into the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. You have this broad thing that you, you, you might be using lead magnets, you might be using various tools just to bring those people into the top of the funnel. Uh, and then what happens is you kind of qualify those people out as time goes by and you end up, you know, you might stoke 100 people in the funnel and end up with 10. So with account-based marketing, what you're trying to do is go, well, actually, let's initially, who is our ideal customer profile? You know, what what does that look like? And a lot of companies have done that piece of work already for having this kind of something that we work with them on uh, and identifying looking historically who that cust- who those customers are the ideal customer profile often isn't what the ceo thinks it is mm-hmm. ceo will have this idea it would be these people and actually what you want to look at is where does business come from what what is good business what uh brings obviously the highest value into there but also who then sticks around you know, what's the customer lifetime value? Um, what's the sales cycle? All of those things feed into what might look like the ideal customer profile. And then it's to then go, right, well, if that's the ideal customer profile, why don't we, rather than do this broad thing where we might find that only 15% of those people are in the ideal customer profile, let's just look at the companies who are in that ideal customer profile and we might go off and identify 200 companies that are in the ideal customer profile and then we'd say right so if we're going to reach out to those companies how are we going to reach out to them and what we have to do is then look at an individual level on each company and go well what's going on in company a you know mm-hmm. where are are there any uh, signals going on that things that are happening within that company and effectively we create an individual marketing campaign for each company now, in, rea- in reality, uh, you end up with that hundred segmenting them and going, mm-hmm. right, well, these are at this stage, these are at that stage, these are at that stage. Uh, but then we would then go down and do uh, research at a kind of the individual level, the 
so whoever those people are the right personas and what we tend to do on there is to look at who's going to be in that buying committee whether it's a technical buyer user buyer all of those things you know economic buyer uh, executive all of those elements and we look at those uh and then we go right well what messaging in that company a what messaging is going to resonate with the technical buyer and we try to find any signals and stuff and any intent signals uh, and then create a messaging for that individual mm-hmm. so it's really targeted it's really targeted so rather than going out with this kind of let's pull people into the funnel what we're trying to do is go let's get people who we know that if we have a conversation with based on our experience of other customers these are the people who are likely to want to buy service certainly would engage with it now obviously that work and that smaller amount of accounts doesn't work for everybody so if you're selling a um, 10 bucks a month SaaS service you know you're not going to do that kind of work so we we tend to work with people whose uh, monthly recurring revenue figures are really a minimum of around four thousand a month so it's kind of like a fifty thousand dollar product that they're buying uh, because then it's worthwhile doing that because if you close uh five of those it's called a million dollars it's well worth mm-hmm. doing it and that would uh based on that and based on our pricing you know that would give about a 10 to 1 return mm, wow on the marketing mm-hmm. spend um it's so doesn't fit every company but if you're working on larger ticket sales and you've got definitely you've got a finite market or finite markets mm-hmm. that means you know you can't uh you can't burn through 500 companies and then go right i've contacted all those i've got nothing else to do or say because that that is our market so you can't build a bad reputation within there you have to build trust and build reputation so it's a softer sale it's not a kind of a transactional sale it's about trying to build a relationship build awareness and then build those people through to actually go yeah i want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with these people okay so um i have some dumb questions um so if question well we'll we'll see (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's say um i want to try um abm do I need to like uh, have people already in my pipeline or like the whole point of um, like employing an agency like you is that you guys go ahead and initiate the conversation between uh, my prospects and me? Is it? Uh, it, it can be, it can be at various stages. So sometimes, sometimes we're going out and we're kind of bringing in new prospects into companies. Other times you might be working with companies who have an existing relationship there already, but they might be, you know, selling a, a small amount in there and they want more of that wallet share mm-hmm. um, and, and they want to go wider and deeper. So you might have somebody who's selling into one department in a, in a massive company and thinking, how can we actually expand out through that company? So we would be doing things like mapping that, mapping the org chart, finding the right people who's, who's reporting. It's all stuff that... You could say there's a salesperson go for do it, but a salesperson uh, takes a path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. 
they don't like doing the hard work they like doing the i used to be a salesman i know uh they like doing the easy stuff they'll go and get distracted go all shiny and run off because they've got a deal over there and for and marketing teams on the whole don't have the resource to spend time doing this stuff so some people when we speak to them uh we augment their existing team uh and sometimes we're doing it all from scratch so quite often we we create a an account-based marketing team and if there's roles in there which can be well there will be roles like executive role and the salesperson etc within the customer's company then we want them to be a part of that team because mm -hmm. with all these things it has to be completely aligned with the company's objectives rather than say a salesperson's objectives which are not necessarily the same uh, but we need to have that visibility so we can do it so to answer your question if somebody came to us with uh, a pipeline of some existing relationships that needed to be built or companies which they've identified that they want to go after or they come to us with a, a blank sheet of paper and just say we need to do more in this space then we will we will help them so some people do it in-house but it's it's hard to have the resource in-house and the time and the uh, the skills to do this work in-house. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys approach um, uh, ABM? Like uh, what are the channels that you utilize to uh, initiate that uh, conversation with the prospect? Is it like a cold email, I don't know, LinkedIn? Uh, we don't rule anything out, but so, if it involved me wearing a sandwich board walking up and down the street outside somebody's offices you know we would well not me but somebody you know we would we wouldn't rule rule out something like that but the core ones which we use the ones which are common in campaigns is linkedin it is cold email we generally use physical letters going out to people uh we put calling in there uh we might be doing targeted ads on linkedin sometimes targeted ads on google uh, so those are core ones which we work sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll put gifts into the sequence uh, low value gifts so uh for example we've used uh it was coming up to summer uh so we had some branded beach balls go out for one customer and the idea of that is everybody's doing the digital approach everybody's doing uh linkedin cold email all that stuff works but what you've got to try to do is disrupt that pattern mm -hmm. you know you send 10 emails to somebody and they might read every one but they won't take an action uh, but if you've got a sequence built out going across these channels and you get have something like a a letter and we work mainly with tech companies so tech companies never think of doing anything which isn't digital so when you actually say, well, that's actually put a nice letter that you read, you know, you know stuff about, you might be congratulate them, that company on a contract win or something like that, that goes out to them. That's going to land on somebody's desk. And even now when everybody's working from home, it will at least be scanned, landing there from their office and they'll open it and read it. You know, they're going to read it. You know, they're going to interact because it's something different. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means, and we tend to, in our sort of our cadence we tend to have the letter and the letter is generally followed up by a call kind because of, you've got a reason then hey i sent your letter did you receive just checking you received it um and then we often find at that stage people go yeah and i've seen your emails before and 
it's I'm not interested or yeah, let's actually have a chat. Uh, and so we have we build these sequences out which we use those but as i say we we don't rule anything out so uh in some research we might find uh, on the individual level we might find some commonality within their like they might all be into a certain sport or something and then we might go well actually uh, depending on the size of the organization is it worth sponsoring something to get people to go to that sport uh, or an event or something or we we will be tracking those individuals so if we know that they're attending an event we can then reach out and put into the sequence hey john i know that you're attending expo 98 or whatever showing my age 2028 uh can we have a coffee while you're there so, so we're bringing in all of that information the whole time but um another thing we've done before are billboards so we had somebody trying to get into a particular company and there was a billboard which was pretty much right opposite where these people would be putting out of their car park and it was cheap because it was out, out of there uh, and so we put a great big billboard thing up there basically so people going yeah i've seen your name somewhere yeah every time you drive out from work going mm -hmm. home our names right in front of me. So we're, we're, while it is these kind of fairly common core things that we have, um, we will try to bring in other things which disrupt that pattern a little bit that gets people thinking. Uh, we use Lego as well. That's quite a common one that we will use. Um, and sometimes we've, we've held a piece back and then sent that on a following letter saying, you know, if you're looking for the missing piece within your stuff, you know, within your business, it's us, and here's a missing piece for that. You know, and just creative ideas which uh, just get those people, our customers, noticed, and that's the idea. And all this is, you know, we're working with for a target of hundreds of companies, so these things actually don't end up being particularly expensive because you're not doing a, something that's going out to ten thousand people, which then would just become prohibitive mm -hmm. yeah awesome um so as you mentioned um so a abm is known for its uh, personalized approach to like b2b like i mean like in marketing in general so yeah. how do you like um how do you guys balance uh, personalization with the need to scale up marketing efforts yeah so that's a really good question so we we kind of offer multiple levels of account-based marketing so if we're doing a one-to-one -one level mm -hmm. and i'm trying to get hold of you mike particularly uh, and this tends to be when we're working with companies who've got a really limited market that might only have 50 companies that can buy their stuff at the one-to-one -one level uh we will be doing research down onto you as an individual uh, and all that communication out to you is all bespoke to that individual because it has to be uh, when we start scaling that up what we might do is go well actually we've got six contacts in this company one's our absolute key one the other's a supporting one so we'll write the really in-depth researched work for one individual mm -hmm. and the others will be slightly slightly broader so they might be uh, pulling the company based information into that but then just working at persona level rather than the individual level 
So if we've got, as I said, let's say we've got that 100 companies, what we might be doing is pulling in a new story, which relates, and we can go, right, well, that's one new story that can relate to six people, and that how that fits in is just a persona level into that, but it's still very individual onto there. Uh, and if we're doing wider, we do this sometimes, you know, we might be going out to a thousand, two thousand companies. Realistically, that might end up having 10,000 individuals. At 10,000 individuals, we can't do that level of research because, frankly, nobody's going to pay us mm. to do that level of research on there. Uh, and then what we tend to do, uh, again, we segment it. So there's lots of different segmented messages that we're putting these people into. Uh, but then we might be pulling their information off something like their company description on LinkedIn. And then we use open AI to write a personalization based on that. So, but then we have to go through and we tend to edit those. We tend to find probably 80% pass, go, yeah. they're fine. 20% you look at and you go, I can't send that. It looks ridiculous. Yeah, so yeah, we had... A customer who's uh, looking at biopharma companies, uh, and it, it would sound completely disingenuous if they go, oh, I've been really interested in how you've been uh, modelling this genome on this. They're an IT person. They don't know about that. Uh, so in an instance like that, what we might do is actually write, I've been reading about your modelling this genome. I can't. And then if they're all these kind of things, similar type stuff. And then in the prompts which you're writing might be saying, phrasing it kind of, uh, I can't pretend to actually understand that, but what I do understand is, in that case, I don't know, cost reduction in cloud computing or something like that. So it's still, when the person gets it, it's relevant, it's in their world, but what you're not doing is churning out these, you see so many of these um, opening lines which are churned out by AI, which mm -hmm. just which just basically say, I, I see them all the time, I get obviously get a lot of cold emails into there, it'll say, oh, it's great to see Dugino does account management, account-based yeah. marketing, and it does, and you look at that and just go, that's just crap. Also, mm -hmm. uh, when we bring in personalization, we never use it as the opening line. We use it within the body of the email. Mm -hmm. So it so it doesn't look like one of those clunky mm -hmm. yeah. opening lines. So, but even at that, at scale, we've segmented everything multiple times. So if we've got 10,000 10, people going out to, probably those segments might only be 250 people in each segment so there's still an awful lot of manual work mm -hmm. to get to those to get to that level but if you don't do that then you're just spraying and praying hoping that it's going to hit so so it does you can bring in automate obviously within automation you can automate the sequences and stuff like that once you've got all of that work done but at the research stage and at the personalization stage you can't and then we also uh, for example if we've got letters and if depending on where the letter is if the if the letter is at say stage four it might be a, nearly two months after the initial research is done 
So what we would do before letters going out is that we would be refreshing there, looking for new stories. So what's going out on those letters is really uh, up to date and fresh. And we tend to, if letters are going out, we tend to send letters to the key people we're after rather than everybody within the company, just because as work, there's cost involved in delivering that. And if you're sending it to, say, the financial buyer, he's not going to actually really be interested in the letter. What you want that to get that in the hand of that person who's really going to be making the decision whether they engage with you or not. Financial buyer is great if you're further down the funnel, but at that point, we're still engage, trying to engage people in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, there, there's a lot of different directions that we can uh, move with this conversation right now. But uh, before anything, uh, since you mentioned cold email, and this is one of my passions, I have to ask, uh, what are some of your favorite subject lines? Do you know, I, subject lines is a really tough and hard thing to do. And yeah, so often they are uh, overused mm-hmm. by people. I can't tell you how many times I get quick question <laughs> pop up in my inbox. It's like, well, what are you selling me? Selling to me. Uh, generally, now the approach I use is custom subject lines taken from a company's uh, the research we do at company level, but that might just be from their LinkedIn description. We run that through OpenAI and write a custom custom write a custom subject line for everybody within the campaign. Mm-hmm. And what is that uh, like the specific software that you use for uh, AI? So it's just using open AI. So like so, just manually through chat GPT? No, you can, you can use the open AI. Uh, API? So can, yeah, so you can, mm-hmm. so my secret, I'll let you into the secret sequence here. So if I had a, for the subject lines, for example, if I had their company LinkedIn URL, I would pull that in. I use a tool called Derek. Mm -hmm. That will just go and pull that into a Google Sheet. And then the Google Sheet is connected up to OpenAI, and then I put my prompt into there Mm -hmm. and write a subject line based on that prompt. It takes an age to get the prompts right. And so I've got a library of prompts, which I start with, um, but they don't, the frustrating thing with prompts is they don't always perform the same way. Exactly. Um, And so again, you have to check these, but also you know that if you've got a new campaign, it's likely you're gonna actually have to be writing new prompts for all of these in these segments just be so, so they just the to, the tone feels right because it has to uh it has to feel completely human because when we're doing the we're doing the outreach the outreach has to feel like it's coming from a person within our customer's company and if it feels artificial if it feels manufactured at any time during that then it reduces the chance of it working mm-hmm. So, um, as for a favourite subject line, I mean, we have literally hundreds a day of different subject lines going out, which are all customised. 
from there. I'm yet to have, you know, I used to use Quick Question hmm. myself for years, uh, and it and it used to work really well. Uh, and I've looked at lots of, you know, always keep my eye on there. And there's lots of people with cute ideas going out, but I think from what we're doing with higher ticket stuff, it's it's about credibility and it's about trust. Mm -hmm. So if your subject line is great to make somebody open an email, but actually it isn't reinforcing the credibility and trust, then it's it's actually going to have a negative effect. Mm -hmm. So it's tempting sometimes to use kind of clickbaity uh, subject lines, but in what we're doing, they just don't really fit with how the customers mm -hmm. customers yeah. work uh, have you tried um hiring freelancers to like write the first lines yeah i have um how has been your experience it's been poor mm. it's been poor i think part of that is we work with high technology companies who've got really targeted audience and unless you've got somebody who is experiencing business and has an idea of of that and bear in mind we're, we're kind of niche so this doesn't apply to everybody uh, but unless you've got somebody who has got that you, they can't get the tone right and mm -hmm. it just and because they don't understand they don't necessarily i'll use that example of the biopharma stuff they don't necessarily understand that somebody won't understand that then they're looking for those things and it, it just comes out uh, in a rubbish way. So what we, we do, and I talked about using the AI stuff, is we actually, myself, um, one of our other directors, for every campaign, we write some. Mm -hmm. And that, because that tells us what level and standard that we want to be coming out of our, if we're doing it in the prompt level what level we want to be coming out of there rather than just accepting something which looks okay because you're just firing out a load of these things um but so we we, we write those but we can't write those at scale unless we're doing the one-to-one -one, uh one and then those are all written there and we tend to uh write those either the directors of our company there or we have uh a couple of the researchers we work with are experienced in business and do that. And we, we would use those those guys because when the researchers are working, they might be doing company level research uh, and they've got to be making loads of subjective decisions about whether the company's right or whether those people are right. And again, you need somebody who's got experience to be able to make those subjective decisions, to be able to look on a website and go, here are my 20 criteria points, but you're never going to find all those 20 in plain writing as a tick box. You need somebody to be able to go and look uh, and read and read between the lines and be able to, you know, and be able to read an annual report and that kind of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, it can be really involved. So, First, also, first-line writers, if they're from Upwork or whatever, if those guys aren't just sitting there running it through OpenAI, I'd be really surprised now. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, so to find somebody who can do it properly is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, what do you think of podcast as a medium for uh, ABM? Uh, so, because I know some agencies that like they come into your business, they launch a podcast for you, and then you can use that as a way to like reach your prospects. So. I, th- I think not probably so much at ABM. So ABM needs to be supported by other brand activities being done by a marketing company. You know, the old marketing adage that somebody needs to see something eight times before they'll take an action. I actually think it's probably far higher nowadays. We've bombarded with so much stuff across the So the more work that you can do around brand and brand awareness and specific brand awareness for your target market, the better so if you're sitting on a podcast uh and you're a technology provider and you know that those people that you are trying to target listen to that podcast then there's value to be on that podcast Mm -hmm. but it's hard as a as a vendor to be invited unless you are a big name vendor or have something absolutely amazing uh it's hard to be invited on a podcast to be able to speak because everybody sees it as a sales pitch but i think podcasts are great i mean i'm looking at doing some stuff a while ago and actually one of the acquisition strategies was around running a podcast and inviting people onto a podcast mm-hmm. because you knew that you could have that engaged conversation with somebody mm-hmm. so but i think when you're running something like a podcast as you know you're running a podcast there's an awful lot of work to it mm-hmm. yeah. so so i can see value and i can see a position position for it it's not something that we have uh done and as i said we don't rule out anything but we did as i say when we were looking at a strategy for somebody it was an element which we were seriously considering for that company and in the, in the end we didn't end up working with them but mm. i might be seeing him with a different answer if we had so um, what do you think of um maybe you mentioned it that it didn't um uh, catch it uh, so what do you think, like, uh, like you launch a podcast, but like the goal is not to reach your prospect, like as a listener, you just invite them as a guest. And then like, you try to like, yeah. that was a, that exactly the strategy that we were going to put forward for this company. Mm-hmm. So it was to basically, the podcast was going to be around the subject matter, which they dealt with, but all the guests were going to be from people that would be from their target, from their mm-hmm. target audience. Um, they didn't go ahead with that strategy so I can't tell you whether it would work or not we thought it would work hmm. but, but they didn't go ahead with the strategy so we don't know if it worked and a lot of the companies that we work with wouldn't have the appetite or the resource to do that in house hmm. uh, and as you know it, take, it takes a lot of time so it would have to be the right opportunity the right company to do that but I to say something we identified before it would might have been nice to see if it would work but what he wouldn't want to be do, doing again it's this goes back to this trust thing is feel people feel that it's disingenuous mm-hmm. that you don't have these people so what we've done before which is slightly different but in the, in the similar vein is that we've held industry round tables mm-hmm. and gone out to people and said we really love your input 
into this round table and it'll just be all peers speaking there's nobody selling there it's just all peers just being facilitated uh, and then actually taking that output as well so obviously you've got those initial conversations but then you've got this industry round table output which is of high value mm-hmm. to other people within the industry and say you know, we have this round table with 20 people would you be interested in hearing what their thoughts were and most people in the in the similar sector would go yeah of course it would mm-hmm. so bringing that kind of end customer generated content into it is uh something that def- definitely does work yeah um okay so your client's objection was that like this method would be quote unquote um dishonest something like that no it it, it was the fear of being slightly disingenuous reaching out to people saying hey do you want to be on a podcast but actually with the uh the real intention that is using it as an opportunity to sell to them mm-hmm. yeah. so there's a there's a fine line there mm-hmm. between uh doing that and mm-hmm. yeah. actually actually having something which is credible on there and to do that you need to have you know three or four people warmed up friendly people because then you can say hey so-and-so's done it so-and-so's done it and then mm-hmm. they'll go okay there is some value to this but podcasts you know are there are hundreds and thousands of those out there but people like vanity people like vanity you know i'm sat on here chatting to you mm-hmm. uh people like sharing their opinions mm-hmm. but i so i i think there's value to it i think there's an angle to it within there I think there's a lot of work in a company who and they get a bit scared if they have to do a lot of work and put resources yeah okay so uh back to basics uh when you launch a campaign what is the most important kpi that you're focused on it depends on really depends so one of the things that we do uh in our process is understand what the objectives are of the company so for most companies what they're interested at the end of the day is getting a return making sales and closing so understanding what that objective is Mm -hmm. but for others it might be just getting uh deeper into a company so if they've got one set it might be actually now do we have a relationship with five people in that company instead of that one point of contact we had but for most people it's going to be around ultimately it's going to be around getting return from mm-hmm. that in actual fact we uh, we have some different models around our pricing but we often will run a campaign at near cost for us and then we get paid out as a percentage on the sales that they generate on the back of this campaign uh providing they there's hell of a lot of qualifying criteria before we will do that uh, but then our key metric as well is the sales which they make off the back of that so we're completely aligned with the customers that we work with and another model that we do sometimes is uh that we will guarantee our work again depending if they meet the criteria or not uh, and basically if they haven't got the their spend their campaign spend back or a pipeline five times higher we basically carry on working till they do mm-hmm. never had to carry on working because we've already always achieved that but actually it overcomes people's 
fear but the main kpi people want to look at is sales but but that to do that you have to look at all the other kpis all the way through so we're measuring everything you know what levels of engagement you get to open rate click rate uh connection rate on linkedin all of those things have been measured all the way through the campaign i have a guy uh whose sole job is to be looking at all those metrics on a day-to-day basis just so we can measure and then adjust as we need to uh, be- because there's no point in uh, running something and three weeks later realizing that you're not on track to do it and as you know you know if, if things were cold email uh, small changes can make a big difference on cold email but then some technical things you know you might suddenly find that actually you haven't got your delivery rate where it should be something's happened on that and all that so all of that stuff is from our side is measured on a daily basis and reviewed on a daily basis just to make sure that technically things are working i always think about this in a campaign the first thing i want to make sure is that is it is it delivering is it within our kind of benchmark brackets that's the first thing if it's doing that i could kind of tick and go right great i'm i'm happy with that now let's now focus on actually making it really work because you can get it 80 percent right first of all but it's that 15 percent that makes a difference between people looking and people looking and replying and engaging and that 15 percent is incredibly hard that comes down to uh copy sentiment sentiment all of those things uh, and that's when it becomes really tough mm-hmm. great so um all right as we wrap up here i would love to ask your opinion about the future so like when you look back on the evolution of marketing and like the the, uh, the current trends uh where do you see the future of marketing especially abm is heading um in the next five to ten years so it's a really interesting question because I think actually the role of a role of a salesperson has changed a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which means the role of marketing has to change. So back when I was working in enterprise sales, it was always about becoming the trusted advisor that you would want to have the relationship with the customer. And they'd say, you'd be able to go to them and say, hey, what are you doing on this? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? Whatever. That doesn't work anymore. That doesn't work anymore. You're not the trusted advisor. They'll go and Google it. They will go and look at all these other sources of information. It's too many sources of information. Uh, a salesperson is not going to be as well informed as a customer anymore. So the customer doesn't want doesn't want the salesperson to be bringing that being that source of information, which means marketing needs to stop doing things like going, oh, look, we've produced a great white paper. It's like, well, unless it's really unique, interesting information, it's just fluff. Nobody's going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in that stage where companies are going to have to work harder to win customers. And when I see, think about account-based marketing, as I said before, it's not about people filling just filling the top of the funnel. It's about bringing those people in further down the funnel, uh, and that kind of is where I see that marketing needs to 
get to, bringing those people further down the platform. And if you're not using account-based marketing, you need to be thinking about your broader marketing to go, actually, do I have the budget to do the awareness stuff? Do I have... Am I HubSpot? Can I write a million and one content articles to do inbound marketing? And, then, and most people aren't. Uh, so, and most people try things like inbound marketing, write all this content and realize 18 months later it's really not generating what they thought and then they have to go and do out, outbound and activities and stuff. Um, so I think being more intelligent about your customer, understanding your customer more, and higher levels of personalization are all things that all marketing needs to do going forwards. And account-based marketing is all about understanding the customer, having that intelligence uh, and that level of personalization. So to me, account-based marketing uh, is definitely the route forward there. There are tools out there. You know, if you look at a tool like Apollo, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're probably familiar with, people listening are probably familiar with, uh, starts to enable salespeople to be able to be a lot more granular of who they're looking at and who they're targeting and building those things out. That's a great step forward. You know, day-to-day for marketing, people can do, uh, can do it. They still need to be really clear on their messaging and their tone and understanding how to do all of those things. So you can't just go and bash through things. But that's a step forward. And I think the tools... Only with AI, I only become more and more sophisticated. So we use uh, tools uh, around intent signals into customers. AI is going to enable those intent signals to be stronger. So uh, you can start judging things like sentiment. Uh, you could look at from our point of view there are things that we could analyze somebody's link linkedin posts judge their sentiment and know what tone of voice to use for them we don't do that kind of level of stuff but that it's not going to be long before that level of stuff is actually practical to be used so i could i could be contacting you in a tone of voice which you are most willing to accept i did a project uh, about 18 months ago which involved interviewing a lot of uh programmers from around the world and developers around the world um so a developer in bulgaria is a completely different personality type to a developer in uh colombia so while they will you can approach the subject with the same information the way that they're going to want to engage with that the way they want to read it not just the channels but actually the tone within it mm-hmm changes and if you can start to use tools which enable that kind of level of personalization that that feel to people then you, your marketing is going to be better the idea that you can produce one piece of content which is going to be relevant to your whole market really is is unrealistic we all we all want personalization in everything that we do but there also has to be a uh, it's about getting that tone right because if you go across that across that line in the personalization, uh, if you try to be too cute with it, that's it, then actually you go back to that thing about trust and credibility. You break that. Mm. 
but uh, yeah so where where do i where do i say it more information about the actual customer thinking about the customer rather than about what you're selling and personalization and that's all that's what account-based marketing ultimately is but i think any marketing needs to be doing that mm -hmm. perfect um so one last question here and then we can wrap up speaking of future and ai and all of that you have a post um from surf to surf your role in a techno feudalist future and uh so yep somewhere in that post you say quote unquote for many i believe the future will be a kind of slavery can you elaborate on that uh it, it's a it's without going into the whole article uh i think uh i've got a real real interest in the effects of technology onto people mm -hmm. and people uh and i a fellow at the Royal Society of Arts, uh, which isn't an arts organisation, it's an organisation about uh, ideas. And I worked around their future, in the Future of Work programme, and they had three different futures, depending on that. And one of the futures is that we're going to, with the rise of AI, it's going to, well, we all know it's going to remove certain jobs. It's going to uh, make what would have been white collar jobs, knowledge jobs. We've already seen it, you know, you can legal AI and that kind of open AI passing bar exams and that kind of stuff. All those people should be really worried about the future mm -hmm. um, and about what that means to them and where their place is within that. Now, uh, I could go on about this stuff for hours and hours on there, but I do feel that it's going to end up with a lot of people that are going to have they're going to be in a system where things all around them are automated uh, and stuck in that system, mm -hmm. and the place where they unless they're adding really high value, the places they're going to be and the work they're going to be doing is the stuff which is messy and doesn't really work with automation or can't be automated uh, and doing that kind of grunt work for a better want of a better word for that and so i, th I think there's going to be in 25 years time if we don't get this right you know when my daughter's off out in the working world uh and the the jobs that we see at the moment i think are going to be looking very different and some of them a lot of them won't exist mm -hmm. uh, i've been saying for the last eight or nine years you know stop teaching kids to code at school coding is not with the skill that people want understand the principles but the coding is all going to be done by machines what we need to have is people uh who have ideas who have creativity who can do lateral thinking that's what people should be taught at school or else they're going to be stuck within a really limited amount of jobs. It's the people who have the great ideas, who are the people who are going to be out there uh, succeeding in the world. And those great ideas can be at a million small levels. Uh, they don't have to be the great big, big ideas, but it's the ideas uh, and the creativity which is going to save people being stuck doing these um, 
low-level jobs. Certain things will never be automated. You know, yes, you can automate in a in a coffee shop, but you're still going to want somebody to bring you uh, your wine in a restaurant. You're not going to want a robot to do that. So certain jobs will never be automated. But I think the the future will actually see, unlike in, in other industrial revolutions, the future will see it be the white-collar people who lose their jobs. I uh, I run an agency, and I probably would have three more members of staff if I didn't use automation and AI. Certainly on automation. You know, it's happening or it's happening all around us. Those are jobs that I didn't create because I had tools to do it and enables us to be cost effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well um Ben, thank you so much for this conversation uh, conversation. I love your insights. Do you have any advice, any book recommendation? Anything is appreciated for people like me who are new to this field? Uh just keep learning just no individual uh book i've got a stack of books next to me uh yeah they might be two years old but they're out of date hmm. so just keep learning just i probably spend two hours a day on just wow. trying to get bring doors bring ideas in uh be really open to new ideas mm-hmm. i think that's a really important thing um and always just be looking looking at, at what's going on there why the tools and stuff i use now i didn't use six months ago in six months time i'm probably going to be using other tools mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. You, can't, you can't rely on that and marketing changes all the time the way that people you know we we had the pandemic suddenly people went in the office everybody worked from home but also it's changed people's attitude to work and how they deal with work and all of those things have to be taken into account uh, you know and that's over the last three years and the next three years are going to be other things that are going to happen mm-hmm. and all, so you have to be uh really open to be always be adapting and learning and never rule anything out and so i would say that to everybody just don't think that you know it because there's always something else always something else i agree um well thank you so much again that was amazing okay thank you mike